flag for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My oh High fly ball into right field. She is gone. Oh, drives one. I can feel it. I can feel the baseball season. I can feel opening day. That is how close we are. And I got to be honest, I feel a little hostage to it. And it's kind of driving me absolutely bananas. Jason Churchill, along with Joe Doyle, the FSS Plus podcast, Future Star Series, futurestarseries.com. Big show because we're in the middle of it now, Joe. We got D1 college baseball. Some of the high school kids are kicking it off. We got spring training. We got full squad workouts. We got cactus and grapefruit league games underway. We're getting news about prospects, news about players, guys throwing different pitches. We are in the middle of it right now. Um, my head is kind of spinning at this point. You could probably tell because it sounds like my head is spinning, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it does. You expect it, so you're not. You're not the, like, <laughs> yeah. the, the no, guy I'm talking to is a... nuts. So what, what do you want me to say? <laughs> this is a Thursday. <laughs> It's a Thursday. It is a Thursday, but it, I don't know. And, and, and what I do, Joe, uh, Thursday is Sunday is Monday is Friday. It doesn't matter. I, I, there are a lot of days where I wake up and I only know what day it is. If I have a meeting that day, a Tuesday, I oh, know I what day it is. feel that. And Thursday, I know what day it is. No other day do I know what day it is. I have to get up and like, it takes me a good two minutes to, to realize what day it is. Uh, sometimes I look at my phone. I have to be honest with you. I look at my phone and it says, Oh, it's Monday. All right. I guess. It's uh, Monday. So we're going to talk a little college baseball today uh, from a draft angle, but it's also a college baseball angle because it's really good college baseball. We're going to do three matchups to watch from a, from an MLB draft standpoint. We have three really good uh, matchups. And then we're going to preview the American League East, uh, which is a really interesting division, a really stacked division. And oddly, it should be more stacked than it actually is. We'll get to that. Uh, in a little bit, we're going to pick our division winners and things of that nature. But uh, uh, that division, a little bit of a disappointment, Joe. Like we're yeah. going to get into this a little later, but a little bit of a disappointment, even though I like what one of the teams did this offseason. All right, we'll get to that a little bit later. Let's talk draft. Let's talk college baseball. There are matchups this weekend. We talked about this beforehand, so I'm not going to surprise you with any of these. Uh, and, and let's jump right into it. It's the second weekend of the D1 season. East Carolina and right-hander Trey Savage in Chapel Hill to face Vance Honeycutt in the Tar Heels. That is going to be fun, Joe. That's going to be sick. Yeah, it's going to be sick. Um, the, you know, I think this could be the coming out party for Jacob Jenkins Coward too. Mm -hmm. With East Carolina, is a six foot six inch, two hundred twenty pound outfielder, uh, a left-handed hitter. I've really liked that kid going back to last year. Like he's a metric darling. I know that um, is, a, is a real talking point, at least in the college game. You want to see where these guys are at. But Vance Honeycutt has been hotter than hell. He's mm. stealing bases. He's got three homers. He's going to all fields. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a pretty fun matchup, and it's a good opportunity for Vance Honeycutt to showcase what he's capable of against one of the better arms in the country. You mentioned Jacobs Cowart. Uh, he did kind of steal a show of the Pirates in week one. Seven for 16, five extra base hits, two homers, two stolen bases. He's a big kid. 
Uh, that's a fun one. Honeycutt, you mentioned, hit three homers in his first four games. He only had four hits, but three of them were homers, including an opposite field grand slam that gave him the lead against Elon on tu- on Tuesday. Uh, he's tooled up, isn't he? Honeycutt is a tooled up guy. You just want to see him put it all together and perform. Tell me about what he's going to be facing in you Savage exactly. What, uh, you Savage went uh, four innings in his first outing, one run. It was a solo homer, two walks eight strikeouts and four innings versus Ryder last Friday. What does he bring to the table from a stuff perspective that Honeycutt's going to be seeing? Yeah, super physical kid, squared off. I mean, he looks like a number two, number three starter at the big league level. Uh, he'll work up to 96. I think he brushed 97 this uh, this spring, but he's usually 92 to 94. There's a slider and a curveball that can melt to, melt together a little bit, um, but they're going to be in the mid-80s. They're a legitimate big league. Um, breaking balls and there's a changeup uh, in there as well that I, I doubt uh, Honeycutt will ever see being a right-handed pitcher or a right-handed hitter. But you Savage is, you know, it's it's fringy command, it's it's fringy control. He can let walks get a, ahead of him a little bit, like a lot of guys in this class. But you know, Honeycutt's going to see the best breaking ball he that he has seen. I, I know it's only five games, but uh, the best breaking ball that he has seen to this point in the season. And I think there's going to be a lot of scouts on hand as as a barometer, like. You know, has this guy's hit tool progressed to the point where we think he could be a five tool guy? Because I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of scouts in the top five picks that are really rooting for Vance Honeycutt to be a dude this year because everyone's looking for talent up the middle of the field. And he's one Mm -hmm. of the best chances you've got. Yeah, he's a fun one. He's one of my favorite players in the class. That's East Carolina and uh, they're in Chapel Hill. To face uh, to face North Carolina, uh, perennial uh, East Carolina is a pretty good baseball school, but North Carolina obviously just about every year has a guy or two or three, even uh, UCLA and TCU in Fort Worth. Joe, uh, I know Cody Schreier opened the season as a, what is he uh, like a like a mid day two kind of a talent, but uh, seven for twelve with a double, a homer, a couple RBI, yeah. two walks, two strikeouts, two stolen bases, had a four hit day in game two of that series. Uh, you know, again, not a top 50 guy or anything, but that's a really nice start. And there's some legitimate pull power there for a guy. Can he stick up the middle? Can he play short or second and kind of fall into that category? Maybe move up to the maybe the top three rounds if he has a big year. Um, I think he could play second base. He got very strong this winter. Uh, very strong. I, he looks more like a like a third baseman or a second baseman at this point. It doesn't help that he's right handed, but He's been a primo, primo guy going back to high school. You know, one of the top uh, freshmen that actually got to campus in 2021, 2022. I'm trying to think mm-hmm. back, but I want to yeah. take, um, listen, uh, Cody Schreier is very, very interesting. I actually want to take viewers eyes away from Schreier a little bit. Watch Deuce Gorson. Mm-hmm. I think Gorson has a chance to go higher than Cody Schreier, six foot two, 190 pound left-handed hitter. Um, very, very mature hitter. He's not going to strike out. I don't know what his numbers look like this year. So, you know, don't, uh, I got him four, four for 10, four for 10 in the opening for you. Four for 10 with two homers, a double, and he has four walks. So right on cue, right after you called him a mature, a mature hitter, four for 10, two homers, four walks for Deuce Gorson for UCLA against uh, Gonzaga. Yeah, Gorson, and it's the same thing. Like Gorson could end up at second, he could end up at third, he could end up at uh, left field. Scouts have really liked his IOs, uh, his IO, his ins and outs, um, his infield drills at shortstop. I don't see him as a shortstop, mm-hmm. but that's the guy that I'm 
personally more interested in than Schreier. Mm -hmm. And these guys, like we talk about the bats, they're going to see some, they're going to see some nasty, nasty stuff at TCU. Not only like 2024 draft eligible guys, but I mean, Cole Klecker is in that, is in that, uh, rotation as a 2025 guy they're going to see Peyton Tolley they're going to see Hunter Hodges and River Ridings um TCU year in and year out is absolutely loaded and I think if you do want to watch Cody Schreier you should probably equally watch Anthony Silva at TCU who could Mm -hmm. be a top 40 pick and could be a big league shortstop yeah, he was nine for seventeen in, in their first go of it, their first week. Really interesting infielder. San Antonio kid, I think. Long term shortstop chance at round one for Silva, Joe. I listen, I'm low on Silva. Like I'm the low man in the industry on Silva. I think my it's not that I don't think he's a good player. I think he's a a day one guy. I think he's a top mm-hmm. sixty pick. I just don't see a carrying tool. I do think it might be an above average glove at shortstop but it's mitigated a bit by how big he is. I don't think he's a big league shortstop at 25 Mm -hmm. or 26. So uh, to answer your question, like he's a sum of his parts guy that does everything well, but nothing really well. So I think I can think of a couple of guys like that in last year's class that were shortstops that went pretty high in in a couple of Jacobs from last year's class that that sounds an awful lot like, although those two guys seem like definite shortstops. So maybe that's the difference here. Uh, you yeah. mentioned Tolley, Peyton Tolley, the the transfer. Uh, was it Wichita? Wichita State transfer? Wichita State, yeah. Uh, Peyton Tolley, two-way guy. He homered uh, in, in the, over the weekend and then struck out seven in his start. Uh, he was rubbed up a bit uh, uh, other than the uh, the seven strikeouts in three innings. But is he is he a legit two-way guy? Is he more of a bat? Is he a, I know we're not talking about a first-round guy here, but um, is he a guy who could legitimately impact uh, on the mound and at the plate? I know there's big-time power there. I think whoever drafts him is probably going to make that decision at the time. I listen, he's six foot six or six foot seven and he's left-handed mm-hmm. 230 pounds. Like um, look at last year's draft class with Caden Grice out of Clemson. That, that was a guy that had 80 grade raw power, mm-hmm. a left-handed swing drafted by the diamondbacks in the second round because he threw 97 or 98 with three pitches from the left side. And it's not terribly dissimilar to Peyton Tolley. So I think that is to be determined. But mm-hmm. for me, it's a lot more polished at the plate than it is currently on the mound. Yeah, that's going to be a fun series. UCLA TCU, that's in Fort Worth. Uh, another big one, this is a this is, this is is going to be fun just because of the volume of players. Arkansas against Oregon State, that's in Arlington at Globe Life. That's the Kubota College Baseball World, or the College Baseball Series. Uh, the Razorbacks have six players on your most recent top 300. Oregon State has five. That makes 11 in the series. Tremendous opportunity to see some serious draft smoke. Uh, Joe Hagen-Smith went just one inning through 42 pitches in his first start. He allowed three runs against JMU on Friday. Off night for the left-hander. He's going to look to get back on track. Is there a world where a healthy Smith doesn't go top 50, Joe? I know he doesn't wow you with like 99 and the most wicked breaking stuff and a plus. I mean, it's not top five stuff. It's not necessarily a stuff. Is there a world where he falls out of round one and 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 into deep into the comp rounds, maybe at the beginning of round two? I think so. Uh, I don't see that happening, but he was mostly 91 to 93 in week one, and it was cold. That's why I'm and, asking, yeah. yeah. And so if you're talking about a lefty that's one to three with strike throwing issues, and by the way, I, I talked about this a lot on Overslot, 
he got almost no value from his fastball. Nobody missed it, and nobody was really biting on the breaking ball. And maybe that's because he wasn't throwing very hard. But if it's a lefty that's 91 to 93 with control issues, I think there's certainly a chance that that falls into the second, maybe even comp B or early third. I think chances are he's probably going to heat up and he's probably going to be four to five. Cause he touched a hundred on a stalker gun this mm, spring. Like sure. it's, it's in there. It's legit. Um, yeah. But someone will see that in the second round and be like, I think in one inning, this is probably like a Josh Hader type of a metric player. Mm. And they'll just take that. But yeah, he needs it. Like, listen, he, he needs a bounce back. That was not a good showing. And it's not really, um, it's not really the Hagen Smith. Everyone knows. Yeah, and it is early, and it is just one start, and it was just one inning for him. The 42 pitches yeah. allowed three runs to a JMU of all places, but it was the first start of the year. Cooler weather, eh, you know, you get it. But it's a little different than saying the same thing about one start in Major League Baseball. It, these guys are going to get 10 to 12 starts, not 25 to 32. So it's a little bit of a different situation. So he probably has 10 or 11 uh, more starts to go, not including any postseason uh, opportunities and, he might get. And also, s- scouts weren't out. Yeah, at the Arkansas JMU game, right? Like mm-hmm. they're going to be at Arkansas, Oregon State. Like this yeah. is when you get 80, 90 scouts, you get the heat in. They, they, you you know why they're going to be there, Joe? Because we just told them that they should. They didn't it's know true. that. And they're listening to this and they're like, oh, yeah. Like I better go to that. We better. Go I've to been that. known so to just be. provide marching orders. So I mean, it makes total sense to me. Hey, well. Catcher Hudson White had a good uh, weekend at the plate, by the way. Four doubles and a homer, five walks, two strikeouts. That's a dude, right? Catching is hard to find. You know, where does he fit starting this season? Uh, I've seen where you have him ranked, but uh, maybe that's changed already a little bit. I, I, I'm not going to move anybody for a while, but I think I'm probably maybe a, a little bit low. Uh, folks that I've talked to definitely think he's going to catch. And if you're definitely going to catch, you're definitely mm-hmm. going to get overdrafted, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I've got him as like a fifth round guy. I, I could probably see him going closer to the third round or late in the second round, mm-hmm. especially if he hits like he has. And he hit, I think he was at Texas Tech last year, if my memory serves me correct. Um, he hit and hit and hit and hit last year. Um, and it, you know, the notoriety is only going to grow at Arkansas. So I, I may be 50 spots low on him right now, but I'll mm-hmm. give it three or four weeks and see how he goes. He's going to see, uh, that tournament. Like, I believe he's going to see Oklahoma state, Oregon state and like Baylor or something. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember that fourth some, le- some legit competition. He's going to see some freaking arms, mm-hmm. man. Oregon state is loaded with arms. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's going to be a fun one. Globe life in Arlington. Yeah. Uh, we won't see Peyton Stovall, though, the hog second baseman. Uh, he's going to be out until it sounds like mid-March at least after yeah. he broke his foot in the scrimmage about 10 days ago. But it's, you know, he's what, about an early day two guy at this point, something like that, but a chance to move around a little bit. That's a loaded Arkansas line. I mean, Arkansas baseball. Is Arkansas baseball, I mean, in the college baseball world, probably not. But from the casual draft and college baseball fan, is Arkansas that program, are they underrated? They seem to be just a fascinating program that always has dudes. I don't know. You and I were talking about this. I think we both agree. Like I just kind of came up in college baseball, like knowing Arkansas. Yeah. That, that was like the program. It just seems like they don't get enough play still. They never have a bad year. They weren't supposed to have a good year a couple of years ago and they still had a fine year. So um, I don't know what it is about Arkansas. Dave Van Horn runs a really good ship over there. They've got Matt Hobbs running the pitching department. Like they're just going to produce dudes year over year over year. And I promise you, they're not going to struggle with NIL either. 
Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, left-hander Mason Molina looked pretty good in his first start of the year. Three and two-thirds innings, uh, struck out nine. He did walk three yeah. and threw a wild pitch, gave up three hits and two runs. But uh, tell me about Molina's stuff. What do you got on uh, on Molina from a stuff standpoint? Well, he doesn't know where it's going. But <laughs> <laughs> um, another another transfer, I think he's probably going to be in the weekend rotation at some point. Stunned mm-hmm. that he wasn't. I think he was their Tuesday guy this week. But, yeah. Um, he looks like Alec Manoa out there. Just a, you know, he's a bulldog of a guy. Attacks inside, um, mostly ninety-two to ninety-three. But he's one of those guys that has the low slot and the the fastball that really hops late in the zone. And the changeup is as really really good shape as well. And there's a curveball. So, um, yeah, I mean, the thing with him is it's always been fastball command. Like, can you uh, get ahead of guys? And he did a really good job of, of that in Tuesday. And I would be quite surprised if Dave Van Horn and and um, and uh, Matt Hobbs don't just throw him into the rotation for a Friday, Saturday, or a Sunday role as a lefty to kind of compliment Hagen Smith. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Arkansas absolutely loaded with talent, loaded, uh, per yeah. the usual the last several years. Uh, across the field, Oregon State, they're kind of a perennial contender as well. They have some national titles in their rear view. They seem to just reload no matter who the coach is. They just seem to reload and do their thing uh, out West uh, the final year of uh, um, the, the full uh, athletic 12 in the PAC 12 conference, but uh, Oregon state, usually the class of that conference. And they have one of the top prospects in the, uh, in the entire draft class. And Travis Bazzani was nine for 20 in the Beavers first five games, including three bombs, a double and a triple. He did whiff five times, but it was decent competition. I think Texas tech and then Minnesota twice. So it wasn't a bunch of small college guys throwing 86 at him. Showing the pop, Joe, Travis Bazan, and you think he has a chance to go number one, don't you? I do. I, I think his his approach to the game, his personality, the intangibles with him just really, really stand out. I'll tell you something about Bazan is going to stand out on his own. But the amazing thing about Oregon State is I currently have six guys at Oregon State in my top 300 overall. I have six guys from Oregon State in my top 300 for 2025 and i currently have five guys true freshmen all pitchers at oregon state in my top 200 for 2026 and it's not a proximity bias they're freaking loaded like wow these this is it's 10 pitchers deep and they haven't even shown them all this year so again i've been doing this with other teams Travis Bazana is going to be appointment television. You're going to watch him. Watch Mason Guerra. He's a mm. Beaverton, Oregon guy, 6'3", third, 205, third, mm. third base. Mammoth power. Mammoth power if he hits it. And he's 215 on my board right now. Tell me about Aiden May a little bit. It's probably a day two talent, but a right-hander, he's kind of one of their guys to start this year on the mound. Yeah, I mean, he throws 99, Jason. <laughs> That's a little something about Aiden May, isn't it? He throws 99. It's a massive sweeper. It's his go-to secondary. It's like 84 to 85. There's changeup in there. Um, The changeup will come and go. But he would have gotten drafted. But he had Tommy John his senior year. He's two years Mm -hmm. removed from it. Uh, The velo is totally back. It's uh, It's either an eighth or ninth inning guy, or depending on the control and command, there's a chance that he starts. But... Still a ton of growth ahead of him. He's 6'3", 185. Um, like you, hey, we've got to we've got to get down to Corvallis this year and and take in a couple of those games because 
Yep. Not I mean, my head. Fevers, 15 yep, yep. players. Yeah. 100%. They're awesome loaded. Program. And then we get to sit in their very weird scout section. I didn't want to bring it up. <laughs> it is a, I, I, I think it's absolutely, I end up just buying a ticket because it's worse. Yeah. But you got to go, but you got to go visit the scouts over there because it's, it's so funny. It's like, um, like the last time I was there, I walk over and say hi to a couple of guys like the, like, uh, like Kyle with Toronto and Brett with the Braves. And I'm like, mm-hmm. how you doing guys? And it's like, they got their tails between their legs. Cause they're sitting in this little corner. This is the funniest thing ever. I got a picture <laughs> of it somewhere, dude. I got to pick, I got to send that out. It's absolutely hilarious. But, uh, yeah, we got to get down to Corvallis. We'll pick a game and, uh, and we'll head down and, uh, and, and we'll meet former producer Casey Bellin down there. He lives in the area, and he wants to see some ball, too. It's a great place to go. It's a really cool stadium to see. But the thing is, we live in the Northwest, Joe. When you live in the North, you got to pick the right weekend to go. Otherwise, you're going to freeze your fingers off, and I don't like to be cold. It's also a four-hour drive, and you don't want to go for a rainy day. True. Yeah. You want to make sure that you're doing it for a purpose. Uh, any other matchups stand out for you this weekend, Joe? Uh, the one that you and I were talking about before we got going, I, I think it's a sneaky opportunity for Ryan Forcucci uh, from the University of San Diego, mm. who takes on Arizona this week. Arizona, a pretty loaded lineup. They've got Garen Caulfield. They've got Mason White, who's a potential first round pick in 2025. Um, I've got my my eyes on that one. They've also got uh, Brendan Summerhill, who's looked very, very good. Um, so, you know, for Cucci, for, for all the starting pitchers that came out of the gates a little slow, he pitched five or six innings. He struck out, I think, 11. He didn't walk anybody. Up to 96, big slider, mm-hmm. starter operation. He's a guy that I think could sneak into the back of the first round, uh, and I'd like to see how he handles a pretty talented uh a pretty talented Arizona lineup. This is if he can throw strikes, this is going to be my dude. And the reason why is because I like starters with big fastball value, and that's kind of his thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, he's a, a two pitch guy, and he missed a ton of bats last year. And you know, I know it's San Diego, but if you can sneak a fastball by anybody, you're going to get the scouts' attention. Because mm. I've I've said it, fastball murderers, right? It's a prerequisite. <laughs> It's a prerequisite. Yes, you not killers, miss not killers, not dominators, nope. not do- mm-hmm. murderers. Yes, that's yep. so great. Yes, so uh, Ryan for Cook for Ferrucci. What do you call him? For Cucci. For Cucci. Oh, for yeah. Cucci. It's for Cucci. All right. Yeah, he's you. That, that's down in San Diego. Uh, I, I believe you had him in your top sixty-five to uh, or so to start the season. So. That's obviously a guy to watch. And he's going to get a chance to get to line up with some dudes in it in Arizona. So these are the kind of matchups that can help you a little beyond their uh, their conference schedule. That's why these games and these early season uh, non-cons are really, really interesting. Um, for Joe's draft rankings, again, head to futurestarseries.com. Find the MLB draft, drop down, hover over rankings, choose your destination. I have open right now your most recent top 300 overall as we do this weekend preview. And it gives me all I need to know about the players as prospects early in the year here and throughout the spring. Joe will update those uh, rankings periodically. Um, Joe, when's your next, when do you plan on updating your 300 next? Just as a time, you wait for a month, you wait for six weeks. What's about the time frame you might do that? I usually wait for at least four weeks of the season, which would take us to the middle of March. Mm-hmm. And then I usually take a week and a half or so to kind of flesh out 
where I think everything fits. And so you probably won't see anything until the 20th, 25th of March, right in there. Mm, Just short, you got to get a sample. You got to get a sample. Yep, absolutely. You got to be careful when you move guys and why. So it totally makes sense. All right, we'll do this every week. We'll do three matchups and and talk about the matchups, talk about the players in those matchups every weekend to get you ready from a draft and the college baseball perspective because it's really What are you going to be watching? What are you going to be watching this week? A little bit of all of that, to be honest with you. But you know what I've been doing? I've been moving around and trying to – I'm really big on – I was sharing this with a a mutual friend of ours, Joe Kaiser. I like to look at small college catchers. I I know it's weird, but – You're going to watch Ryan Stafford, aren't you? If you can can find a guy who can really catch and then find something about what he does at the plate that might play at the big league level – you found yourself a major league catcher. You might only be a number two, but you found yourself a major league catcher. And I tend to move around the dial a little bit as I'm looking for dudes like that. I I think some of these guys are obvious. Like you're going to roll around, you're going to see Hagen Smith, you're going to see Travis Bazana, and that's fun. But if you're trying to actually unearth someone or kind of get in early on someone, which what I like to try to do, um, I'm looking at some of these smaller schools. I'm looking at the Wagners and the Winthrops and, and things that I, trying to find, well, mostly catchers dude so yeah. i'll watch all the big game but i, I like you i name. like those dudes all right uh it's not a small school but it's a guy to root for but you know up here in the pacific northwest we got to watch johnny tincher all year last sure. year with the university mm-hmm. of washington fun story five eight he could hit um check out ryan campos at arizona state five eight one eighty seven Mm-hmm. left-handed hitter and it's nothing but daddy hacks so <laughs> he's a pretty cool he's a pretty cool uh, player to root for oh that is beautiful yeah and that's a left-handed hitter right yes sir it is oh i'm already sold dude i don't even need to watch you ruined it <laughs> for pretty, me man i don't even need pretty, to he's first round fun. pick top 10 guy right there ryan Campos. yeah baby um yeah those guys are fun i, I do like to find that i i do one of the conversations i have when i'm doing my mariners podcast is people ask me a lot like right now the mariners backup looks like it's going to be sebi zavala who hasn't really hit he had some moments in chicago and you know 21 or 22 but he hasn't really hit he didn't hit last year didn't hit lefties didn't hit rice and like why isn't it blake hunt why isn't it blake Hunt a guy they have in triple a right and i'm like well blake hunt might actually be sebi zavala like to be, they might be the same guy, really. Like neither of them are going to hit for average. They're going to struggle against velocity, but they have pull power. They're essentially the Mariners are essentially hoping one of those guys turns into kind of sort of what the Mariners had last year in Tom Murphy, but at a fraction of the price. So I'm doing the same thing at the college level, Joe. And I'm looking at these. I'm looking for the next like like good backup catcher that might be so good that he might start a little bit one year. That's what I'm looking at. So I tend to, I didn't realize I did that until last year, but I've been doing this for a while, looking around to find guys. And it's really got to be at the college level because that demographic at the prep level is really, really difficult. And a lot of the best guys yep. end up moving off the position anyway, just because their bat is too uh, too valuable. Just, so it's, it's more fun to root for the catchers that aren't Amazon boxes. And I, I mean that respectfully to Zebi Zavala mm. and to Blake Hunt. I would rather root for the guy that looks terrified like me behind the plate. But when you get your shot against a pitcher, you just it's your A swing every time. Yeah. That's my kind yeah. of guy. Yeah. Also, to be fair to Sebi Zavala, that's exactly how he swings. <laughs> yeah, he's but he's looking isn't for Sebi middle? like six three. He's huge. Yeah, he's a bigger dude. He a, yeah, he's a bigger. But that's exactly yeah, how he swings. He's like, that. give me something middle in, and I'm gonna try to yank it. And if you pitch me away, fine, I'll just get out. I don't want I that. Don't I want the catcher that's behind the Ooh. plate that looks like he's pestering and annoying the batter. 
just like a little brother <laughs> complex back there. Like, give me that guy. Oh, that's give me beautiful. that guy. Absolutely beautiful. All right. Uh, D1 baseball in full swing. College baseball as a whole in uh, in full swing. And if you, uh, if you get a chance, while I think college baseball is massively underrated, I think Juco baseball is even relative to D1 college baseball is massively underrated. It is one of the funnest things to watch. Find a community college near you. I don't care. It doesn't matter if there are draft draft worthy players. It doesn't matter. Who cares? There might be some D1 guys there that, that have to Probably transfer is. out. Yeah. Uh, but just the the atmosphere and the quality of the game that you get, it's it's high school on on steroids. I love it. I think it's. I think JUCO yeah. baseball is great. College baseball is great. I end up not really talking about college baseball enough outside the draft aspect because I'm just enjoying watching it too much, and I just don't have the yeah. energy and the inclination to do it. That's how fun it is. I, I don't get to, a chance to be a fan draft, all that much. Too. But talking about the draft is like it's the gateway drug into college baseball. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like you you try the draft, you start talking about the draft, and then you're hooked on college baseball as a product as a whole. Yeah, I'm actually backwards. Draft, whatever gets you into it. You're yeah. absolutely 100% right. I'm actually backwards because when I was a kid, there weren't a lot of college baseball games on and the MLB draft just wasn't yeah. a thing. Like I was never, I never thought about the draft other than, oh, Ken Griffey Jr. was the number one pick. Oh, Alex Rodriguez was the number one pick. Oh, yeah. you know, Justin Verla, you know, like other than that, I didn't really think about it that much. So when I saw college baseball on TV, it was always the college world series. Cause that was essentially the only time college baseball was ever on TV when I was a kid watching Miami and Stanford and Mike Mussina and those guys, you know, like, so I was kind of backward and then I learned, Hey, they keep talking about the draft. Like, like this is a thing. This is a real thing. And then my interest therefore, but you're right. It is. The draft is kind of the gateway to being addicted to college, but you can't help hey, it. Yeah, absolutely this can't spring, what I, I want to go to Oxford with you. I know this is random. I want to sit in right field. I want to double fist beers and just <laughs> not, not drink them. Just wait for that first Ole Miss Homer. I want to experience the Ole Miss beer shower. Like more than, do you know that, that, Tradition. Yes. Yes. But why do you want to do that? To say I've done it. I actually, I actually dread what the after smell <laughs> and feeling. Cause that's be all like. I can think about. <laughs> I just want to, I just want to like say that I was in it. It's just, it's, can you imagine that at a big league with 50,000 people where everyone just throws their yeah. beers at each other? So, so you want to travel essentially 2000 miles, sit yeah. through maybe more than one game to get it. And then you want to be drenched in beer. I got a better More than idea. one game. Have you seen that roster? It's it's literally just 26-year-old men. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying, look, we live like half an hour from one another. If you just want to roll on by, I'll just pour beer on you out on the sidewalk. What if, what if we went to Tacoma Community College and just started throwing beers at people? I think we get kicked out. Um, but I think I can no, get us out of I think I can get Tacoma. Us, I think I can get us out of jail, though. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> we <laughs> might get Tacoma kicked boy. out of... I could get us out might, of jail. You know, we might get kicked out of Tacoma Community College, but if we went down to Lewis and Clark and started throwing beers at people or just started we handing out start fireball shotskis... We would start a trend. Lewis and we Clark, would, we would start a trend. There's one other yeah. no doubt. Yeah, I also know people down there, too, so we wouldn't get we wouldn't get kicked out. We're safe in Lewis people. Clark. We're, we might get kicked out of the Tacoma game, but... If the cops came, I'd be able to. I'd be able to take care of us. I think Lewis and Clark is close enough to Pullman to where there's at least a chance I know who we get arrested by. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> we could, uh, we could figure it out. Anyways. All right, let's 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 not talk about getting arrested. Quite a anymore. tangent. That's, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so on the big league side of things, we mentioned camp is open. Uh, full squad workouts started in the middle of this week. Uh, Cactus League games are getting underway. Grapefruit League games are getting underway this weekend. Um, a lot of fun going. We're just a month, a little over a month from opening day. That gives us a chance to roll through every division in baseball before that time. And today we're talking about the American league East and Joe, here's how I want to do this for each division. We discuss, I want to pick a winner in that division, the mm -hmm. team that improved the most over the winter, the team that did the least to improve or even got worse over the winter and name one key player that could kind of flip the race on its head. And then which general manager in that division has the hottest seat. Sound good. No, but uh, we're gonna see. We're gonna get goes. some. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about people getting fired, and I just I absolutely love it. I'm gonna burn uh, every bridge that I have in this series. Yeah, I don't even have any bridges anymore. I don't care. Oh, you know, that's... it's it's funny how different we are in terms of how we approach this because you talk to a lot of people like in an official capacity, like you have them on your Overslot podcast. I avoid that because not only do I want to be able to talk junk about them, but I also am trying to protect myself from favoring them and not jumping on their case when they deserve it. That's just the way I go about things. You don't need to do that. I happen to need to do that. I don't want to talk to Brian Cashman. I don't want to talk to, you know, to Mike. I don't want to talk to these guys. And I've avoided that for a long while and it's done me well. You talk to them. So you feel like there are bridges to burn. So I'll take the heat. You just say, you know, church said it <laughs> and they'll be really like, like whatever. I don't even care. Um, so this is a really interesting, it was a very strange off season to say the least. There was plenty of action involving the five clubs in the American league East, but probably not how we would have predicted it to go. So we look at last year, Baltimore won that division, won over a hundred games followed by Tampa and Toronto. And that left the two big guys at the bottom of that division last year, the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees in re reverse. Uh, let's start with the club uh, in the AL East that improved the most with their off season moves, Joe. Boy, um, I hate saying this because I don't think they did enough. I think a lot of people like what they did. I think it's probably the Yankees. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I don't like the moves that they made. I think they lost more than people are probably giving them credit for in that Juan Soto deal. Like They lost a lot off the fringes of, of that roster. But whenever... Yeah, man. Like, But whenever you can bring in a Juan Soto and a Marcus Stroman in the same offseason. Like I don't I don't see anybody else in the division that did the heavy lifting that the Yankees did. Um so I would say for me at least the mm. Yankees got better faster than anyone. Yeah, I would agree. Uh getting Soto and Stroman while that didn't make them a juggernaut, it's market improvement for them and and I like the Alex Verdugo get uh, they added yeah. key role and in, in, in depth with Trent Grisham. I think that's going to help them. That's going to help them maybe take some of the defensive pressure off of guys like Aaron Judge. Maybe Giancarlo Stanton never touches the field again like he shouldn't. Uh, maybe that gives him a little better chance to stay healthier a little bit longer. Um, for me, obviously, for the Yankees, it remains health. It's mostly Aaron Judge and Carlos Rodon, but they've hedged their bets pretty well this offseason. Soto, Verdugo, Stroman, Grisham, that's a pretty darn good offseason even it if is. it lacked the flashy starting pitching edition, I think they did enough to kind of earn that. I, the Orioles might be second 
with Burns and Kimbrell, but they didn't do a ton. Um, Toronto didn't do a whole lot. Um, they're relying on in-house stuff where they get Justin Turner might help them a little bit, but there wasn't a ton done there. Um, obviously Tampa lost more than they added from the major league roster anyway. Uh, and the Boston Red Sox, you know, we're probably gonna talk about them in a second. Uh, so I think we both agree. The Yankees probably did more than any other club in the American league East to yeah. improve their chances to move up. And then last year, I mean, at least last year, they were the fourth best team. Uh, so they had a lot of work I, I to think- do. The issue that I had with the Yankees, and you and I talked about this a lot, like too much in September and October, was I just don't like where they started. Mm-hmm. Like you're still going into opening day with so much age and so much fragility yeah. in terms of your big league regulars that mm-hmm. that worries me. It's just such, it's just not an athletic team. And I don't like that the Yankees plan on having Aaron Judge as their full time center fielder like yeah i would have rather seen them go out and acquire kevin kiermeyer instead of trading what they traded which was a lot for Mm -hmm. alex verdugo um that would have been a a better offseason than than what they did for me but we'll see they need to stay healthy i i hate the idea of 145 games with aaron judge up the middle Person. Yeah, so do I. Maybe something develops and Grisham gets a little more time out there and and uh they're able to move Judge around and and uh and if Stanton's not healthy, I don't want to say this opens up more DH opportunities for Judge because you do have to have somebody play the outfield. And when Judge is healthy, he's a pretty solid outfielder. Um, but it might give them more of an excuse to use him there if Stanton is is out. Uh, we'll see yeah. how that goes. But yeah, Rodon in the rotation is the big one for me. If he's healthy, we know he's really good and a huge difference maker. But how many starts are you going to get from him? That's the big thing for me there. Um, all right, which which team improved the least for you, Joe? Or did somebody go backwards in this division that makes it really, really easy for you? Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to say the Red Sox, right? They did virtually nothing. Uh, they got Tyler O'Neill, But I'll say this, man. A, a close second for me, and it's just it's the way that they do business, is Tampa Bay. You know, mm-hmm. you, you move Tyler Glass now, you move Manuel Margot, um, putting a lot of pressure on a guy like Johnny DeLuca and Ryan Pepio to be big leaguers. And so we'll see. I, listen, I, I don't love what the Rays did. I understand it's the Rays' way, but I don't think there's any doubts that the Red Sox. Yeah, did they just the spun least. their wheels at best. I mean, yeah, you sign yeah. Lucas Stilito and then you trade Chris Sale, and then you essentially swap Verdugo for Tyler O'Neill. You added nothing of high impact. You added to your farm a little bit through through a couple of trades. You created some payroll flexibility. You did nothing with it. it it's embarrassing, Joe. It, you know, you're the gosh damned Boston Red Sox. You know, thank goodness, Joe, that Peter Gammons is still with us because if he wasn't, <laughs> he'd be turning over in his grave right now. It is an absolute embarrassment, the Boston Red Sox. I can't believe we're looking at this the last couple of years. It's absolutely yeah. gross. And now they're going to try to be the Tampa Bay Rays. It's exactly what they're trying to do here because they're seeing the Rays do it. They're seeing other teams do it uh, a lot more cheaply. I mean, it's just it's it's ugly. I don't know. Garbage. I, I, and I don't uh, know if they're trying to be Tampa. I, I well, certainly they're trying to be more like to, Tampa. They're absolutely. I don't trying think to be they're more trying like to be the, the issue uh, is I don't think they're trying to be the Red Sox anymore. That's the issue. Like they should be the Boston Red Sox. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like they're trying to be the Boston Red Sox. And the biggest, for me, the the biggest issue with this winter was a bounce back. And it's kind of what Seattle did with the Jared Kelnick deal. Like you needed Chris Sale to come back and be your horse. 
Yeah. That was, you know, that's like, hey, there's not a lot going on for us right now. There's a lot of question marks. But if Chris Sale yeah. comes back and is Chris Sale, we're going to be okay. And then they moved him for nothing close to what his impact right. could be for Atlanta. Right. So to me, the reason they got, they they got, got Luke, worse. The fact that they traded Sale and didn't really do a whole lot else to add to their club, Tyler O'Neill, and, and that's it. The, the, the Lucas Giolito signing was really interesting at first. And now it looks like there's only one reason they signed Lucas Giolito. And it wasn't about winning in 2024 or 2025. It was about, hey, if we can get Giolito back to where he was a couple of years ago, we have a really great trade piece at the deadline. That's exactly and only what that was for the Boston. They have absolutely no chance to do anything in that division this year. It's garbage. Yeah, the deal didn't make the deal didn't make any sense when you look at it from the holistic offseason. Right. Like no if you're sense. gonna trade sale and then use money saved to go do something else, great. Although you shouldn't need to do that. You're the Red Sox. But this all started with the Mookie Bed situation. That's the direction they've been heading. God, that was two years ago, too. It was. That was the Verdugo deal. Yeah. It's been five yeah. years or whatever now, and that's just where they've been heading ever since. So we agree that hey, uh, we agreed listen. on the Yankees, we agreed on the Red Sox. This isn't me bootlicking, and it's not me being a, a shill to front offices, but I will say they did get a lot back for Alex Verdugo. So from a process perspective, mm. I liked that deal sure. a lot for Boston, but yep. I certainly do not think you. that they got better this offseason. Yeah, I'm with you there. They absolutely, they absolutely did. I liked, uh, I liked it. I actually, you know, didn't think the Padres did too bad in the the Soto deals. Did like you said, the Me Yankees either. gave up some pitching depth there. That that made a lot of sense for one both year. Teams, both teams of, had to make uh, those Soto. deals, and they did well. Yeah. All right, key player. Which player in this division can turn the tide and and either make the team in question a legit contender when otherwise they're not, or potentially take the division from someone? Yeah, this one might surprise you a little bit, and I'm interested to hear what your answer is going to be. I think it could be Alec Manoa. <laughs> I literally and have I Alec Manoa reading. I'm going with Alec Manoa in Toronto is the note that I left. Okay, then I'll say someone else. I'll say someone else. I think the Rays are pretty much what the Rays are, and they're mm -hmm. if they overachieve, they overachieve, and it's what they are. The Red Sox, probably not there. The Yankees, we know that roster like the back of our hand at this point. How about... I think Toronto is the interesting like linchpin mm. team in this division. And what about Justin Turner? Because mm. for the struggles that Vlad had uh, and, and for just the, the inconsistencies that Toronto had from a streakiness uh, point of view last year, if Justin Turner can like be a little bit of a stabilizing force, play some first mm. base, play some DH, give him 10 games at third base, um, maybe he pushes them to the 90 win mark. Mm. But you and it sounds like you and I both agree. Like, Menard's our eyes are going to be on Toronto. Yeah, yeah. I look at it this way: even if he's like eighty-five to ninety percent of what he was, he he does something for that rotation and that pitching staff that they otherwise really probably can't get out of somebody else. If he's ninety percent of what he was two years ago, they might be the best team in the division. Uh, my second pick would have actually been Vlad Guerrero Jr. who's capable of a lot more than the 118 WRC plus he put up last year. He was a 133 WRC plus guy two years ago. And I'm not suggesting you get back to the mid 160s like he was in that massive 2021. Ignore that. What if he was just a 130, 135 guy like he was a couple of years? 275, 344, 80? There's no reason that's not more than – it's a disappointment if Guerrero doesn't do that this year, just like last yeah. year was. And that changes things for the Rays and maybe takes some pressure off the Justin Turner acquisition, so to speak. But Manoa showing as a two or even a strong three again strengthens the team's greatest weakness big time. The very back of their rotation where they're going to have to go mm -hmm. with an unproven guy – 
and the bullpen because they signed Yariel Rodriguez, who at the bullpen projects as a high leverage guy. If you're going to allow him to start, he's a, he's a four, right? You can change sure. that with Manoa showing up like that. You can completely change. All of a sudden, that bullpen could be a major strength. You push a Rodriguez yeah. or even a Kukuchi to the bullpen uh, instead of asking them to start. It's a completely different story to me. If Manoa is Manoa of two years ago or anywhere near, they're the best team in this division. Yeah, I, I think Seattle and Toronto have something in common in that most projection systems have both of them coming in between 84, 87 wins. Both mm. of those teams could stumble into 94 wins and it not even you not even realize what they did to get there. It's mm. just guys need to play to their career norms. And I, I you know, if I was I know I, I reference Vegas a lot on the show. I don't gamble like at all. <laughs> I don't. I, I really don't. But it, I would you don't gamble, but you Toronto... play a gambler on TV. Sorry. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> Sure. Um, FSS plus TV, they, baby. I, they probably have the they probably have the sexiest like odds to win the AL East from a gambling perspective. I'd be all over yeah. that, I think. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I I could see that. But yeah, Manoa is adding a cutter. He showed up in actually really good shape. This is this is one of those best shape of his life thing that might actually matter because that was a concern. His conditioning was certainly a concern last year. We'll see what happens. And and I don't hey, have tons let me of confidence. I wouldn't necessarily really bet on Manoa, but if that happens, that is an absolute game changer in the American League East. Let me wax poetic really quick on Alec Manoa, and then we'll get out of here. Um, I, if if the cutter allows him to stop hitting people in the knuckles and elbows and wrists, that would help me because I was really sick and tired last year of seeing him lead the league year after year mm. after year of hitting guys. And the, the, whole, the old excuse of, oh, I have to pitch inside, it's my brand – well, you can't, and that's why right. you ended up in Dunedin. So that's that's my soapbox. Please stop yeah, hitting he was, people, Alec Manoa. He hit 16 guys in 2021, uh, 15 guys in 2022, and last year in 19 starts hit nine guys. And by the way, the 16 in 2021 came in 20 starts. <laughs> he actually got yeah, better. He hits the next everybody. Year. I watched yeah. him hit Aaron Judge in the wrist. Aaron Judge missed like the next two games. And the very next start, he hit Julio Rodriguez in the hand and Julio missed two yeah. games. Yeah, And I'm just like, brutal. dude, like you're bad yeah. for the game right now. Yeah, it's brutal. It's tough because, yeah, you should be able to pitch inside, but inside and you should you're, you're not like allowed to just hit guys whenever you feel like it. Like that's not how this works at all. Uh, all right. One more thing and then we'll get out of here. The GM in the American League East on the hot seat. Actually, two more things. we got to pick division winners. But the GM on the hot seat is next. For me, Joe, I'll start out. This is easily Brian Cashman. I, I don't – Easily. Boston just got a new guy. Tampa doesn't fire GMs. They lose them to other clubs because they're good at what they do. Uh, I think it's at least a year early for Ross Atkins in Toronto. Maybe maybe he's far away. They're, they're good enough. And obviously, Baltimore um, – Mike E over there has it going on. So I, this is easily Brian Cashman leading. He's been the leading. He's been leading the Yankees for 25 years, 25 years, yeah. Joe. He's been the guy there. Yeah. And while the club hasn't spent wildly like in George Steinbrenner's years, they have led the league in opening day payroll 16 times in Cashman's tenure. And they've been top five every single year, but one when they rank six, despite that the team has one world series on a roster that Cashman built in 2009. And that's the one World Series they've been to since the core that Bob Watson built moved on. 
Furthermore, they've missed the postseason five times in Cashman's time, four times in the last 11 seasons over the same span. They have as many fourth place finishes as they do division titles. It might just be a time for change in the Bronx if it doesn't work this year. Brian Cashman is the only guy in the hot seat in this division for me. It's um, not even close. There's an enormous valley between the, him and Ross Atkins for the second place here. Mm. Brian, he he just hasn't shown, at least to a proficient level, that he can build a championship roster uh, under monetary constraints. And it's not like mm. he had the rug pulled out from under him. He just didn't. He just doesn't have a blank check anymore. Uh, and baseball has changed tremendously over the last 25 yeah. years in terms of how teams are built uh, through data and metrics. So. Yeah, I think this is probably going to be it for Brian Cashman if the New York Yankees aren't a playoff team. And they, it might yeah. be it might be the end for Brian Cashman if they make a wild card and are out in the first round. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think they have to win a division and do something. Um, all right, let's talk about who wins this division. And, and uh, I'll start off with this one too because I guess I'm going to save Brian Cashman's job. Last year, uh, Orioles, Rays, Jays, Yankees, Red Sox, in that order – I'm going to go Yankees here. I just have a feeling they're they're motivated to do things, and I do think they make a an impact move or two during the season. I don't think with the current team they'll win that division, but I think they'll make a move or two to to give them that extra win or two to win that division. But this division's wide open. I think with with what the top four teams, uh, you know, I, I really do I Yankees, so. Red, uh, Yankees, uh, Rays, Orioles, uh, Blue Jays. Any of them could win the division. I wouldn't be shocked, but. I'm going with the Yankees. I I really hate to do it, but I'm going with the Yankees. I do like what they've done this winter. I, I, I think they're extra ultra motivated, starting with Brian Cashman. I'm going to change it up. I'm actually going – I'll give you the order too. I think Toronto is going to win it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Toronto is going to win it. I think the rotation is a lot better than people probably get it, give it credit for. Now, Barrios hasn't been the arm that he was in Minnesota, but mm-hmm. uh, they've got Gossman. They've got uh, uh, Kikuchi. They've got um, – Chris a bunch Bassett. of other arms. Chris Bassett, yeah, underrated Chris Bassett. innings guy. Mm. Mm-hmm. They, they've got the depth in the rotation to make a splash in that in, the, in that division. And I think when you add guys like Eduardo Escobar and Kevin Kiermeyer and and just Justin Turner and even guys like Daniel Vogelbach to kind of round out the uh, the back mm. end of that of that uh, roster, I think you've got the veterans necessary to push this team over the edge. And frankly, they're running out of time. And if it doesn't happen now. They're going to have to make a decision on Vlad and Bo uh, this upcoming mm. winter. So I, I will take, I will take Toronto to win it. I think the Kyle Bradish injury really hurts yeah. Baltimore a lot more than people are saying. I'll take Baltimore too still, um, and then I'll take New York. Mm. I'll take Tampa and I'll take Boston. Yeah, I like Toronto second. Uh, that's a really good pick. Um, they don't need Alec Manoa to win that division, but if Alec Manoa does anything. I think they win that division. For me, the the key for a player that's definitely going to be on the roster is Vlad. I really think he can be at least 15, 20% better than he was last year. And that's a game changer. You give a you put a top 10 MVP guy into that lineup, uh, other than just basically your average first baseman, that's like the difference between his 2023 season and his 2022 season. He was obviously like a top five, top three MVP in 2021. They don't even need that. Yeah, I'm with oh. you there. I, I like Toronto. But, man, what a fun division. Some good teams here. And – kind of similar along the lines that we talked about with Alec Manoa. What if Grayson Rodriguez finds it? Yeah. What if he just like, maybe, maybe he just takes off and gives them like 30 starts and is like a top seven sign. Cause that's the one thing they're missing. And I think everybody's expecting Corbin Burns to give them like this ace number one, like potential. And I'm not really sure he's that guy anymore. I mean, it was a really good guy and he's a good pitcher, but 
if they could get two guys going at that level, guys that can miss bats, guys that go six and seven every time out, that does a lot for that bullpen. A bullpen that's going to be without Batista and is relying on Craig Kimbrell to kind of step into a role, if not the role, at the back of that bullpen. So, yeah, really interesting. Division. It's uh, it's too bad that Bradish got hurt because they do have G Rod. They do have Burns, they do have Dean Kramer, and they mm-hmm. have John Means returning. And if Bradish mm-hmm. was healthy, that's a pretty sneaky rotation, yeah. top to bottom. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it seems like Bradish is going to miss the year. Hopefully, John Means can come back from uh, from injury that yeah. pretty much sidelined him all of last season into what he, what he used to be. The wild card here in that division might be the Orioles' willingness, if that exists, to move impact players from their system. It's still a very, very good and deep system, one of the best, if not the best systems in baseball, despite the fact that they've graduated three top-end guys in Rutschman and uh, Gunnar Henderson and Adley, or uh, Grayson Rodriguez, of course. Um, th- that's They could go out and make just about any deal they wanted to from a talent standpoint. So, yeah, that could kind of be the wild card in this whole uh, conversation. But uh, And then there's Tampa, the team that we seem to undersell every single year. And we're doing it again now for obvious reasons. But I don't know. Maybe they're... Yeah. Uh, Maybe they're even greater geniuses than we're giving them credit for, and we love the we love the Rays. We call them the unicorn all the time, but uh, I'm not feeling they're right the now. they're they're great and they're bad for baseball all at the same time. It's just <laughs> it's it's just hard to get. And this yeah. is nothing against the guy. It's just hard to envision a team with Taylor Walls playing 145 games, winning 95. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, they did pick up Jose Caballero a, and Ahmed Rosario. So, oh, good. You know, yeah, you know, I mean, salt. <laughs> Right, like you get you, li- that's essentially good- that's essentially Omar Vizquel and Roberto Alomar in their prime, Joe. Honestly, it's nothing against the lineup either. Um, yeah, they'll hit. They're I, gonna hit. Yeah. They're gonna hit. They're gonna make things happen on the bases. But like, you move Tyler Glass now, and y- are you gonna get Shane McClanahan at all? Yeah, you know Shane Baz is on. Yeah, Shane Baz is on the mend. Like, there's just they don't have favor in their mm-hmm. corner going yeah, on right now. It's really, it, we, we're going to have to see some guys surprise and do things they haven't done, but that's what Tampa is absolutely good at. Joe, uh, fun as always. Uh, we'll be back next week to, uh, I don't know, we'll talk, uh, let's talk NL West next week, and let's also talk AL Central next week. We'll do two divisions next week so we can finish the week of opening Rockies and White Sox. And don't even need to record. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! A little Ric Flair action going there, but uh, and then we'll uh, we'll jump into some draft talk and uh, college baseball, uh, the weekend matchups, and all that good stuff. As usual, appreciate. It. We'll talk next week. All right, man. Ah, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the FSS Plus podcast. So just chill to the next episode.